us out. God is good all the time. Amen to that. All the time. Happy New Year. For some, it's thank God 2022 is over. Uh, you know, I, there are some things that never change, though. God's love for you, it never changes. The filling of His Holy Spirit, His desire for your life, these things do not ever change. How He strengthens His people, that does not change from one new year to the next. How He works in, on, and through each of those He calls His own, this does not change. His plan for your life, it does not change. The gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. God doesn't change His mind ever. When we pray, it's not that God says, oh, I didn't think of that. You're right. I should change my mind. That is not how God works at all. He has a perfect plan that He's working out on a daily basis. As new years come and go, we fix our eyes on Him who does not change, who is immutable. That's what the word means. But closing out an old year allows us to look forward to what lies ahead. Whatever happened in the past, there are some things that will not change. I'm thankful that his love and his care does not. But Satan is still alive and well as well, if you haven't noticed. That will not change either until Christ comes back. Now, God sets the box in which he can operate. He sets the parameters, and you will never be tempted or tested above that which you are able to bear. That's a promise that comes to us out of 1 Corinthians 10. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. Although life can feel overwhelming. It can feel overwhelming if we're to be totally honest. These seasons come and go. Those things do change. Satan is alive and well. He will attack. Can I remind you of this? Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Thank Jesus for that. That will never change either. So that we hang on to the things that are the promises of God because they are anchors to the soul. And there are many other things that ebb and flow and come and go in our lives, but we fix our eyes on that which is eternal. Everything you and I face in this world is temporary. It's temporal. It will not, it'll pass. Like, like days of a calendar as we flip over the new year, this too shall pass. The brevity of life is impressed upon us as with every passing year. How many new years have you celebrated? How many years have come and gone? How many trials and tests have we passed and sometimes failed and God graciously allows us to retest? We learn our lessons like children going through their school years in elementary school. We are growing the same way in Christ Jesus. He is the great teacher. He is our Lord, our Savior, our God. We look forward to what lies ahead in Christ Jesus. I know for the pagan world, it's just another opportunity to party, get drunk, and act foolish, and die in, in car accidents. We have nothing in common with that world. A passing of a new year says, thank you, Jesus, for everything that is behind me, and thank you, Jesus, for everything that is ahead of me. But we don't celebrate it by getting drunk and giving into the flesh and acting stupid. How does that glorify God? It does not. It's an abomination. So we don't do that. Do I stay up till midnight every New Year's and, and kiss my wife and wish her Happy New Year? Yeah, not so much anymore. I thought, well, they're supposed to shoot off fireworks at 9. Certainly, I can stay up till 9. Depends on if you're dozing in your recliner or not, you know, waiting for 9 o'clock to show up. When it's all said and done, these things do not matter. The wise person will increasingly, as the years march by, start discerning what is good and what is not, what is of eternal consequence and what is not. There are so many things that we think are important at the moment reality slaps us in the face. But in view of eternity, does it carry any weight in God's presence? I will allow everything He allows in my life. I, I will allow it for my good and His glory. I will praise Him in the storm. And I, I, I remind myself constantly, He's in the boat with us. The disciples asked Him the stupidest question of all when the boat was getting swamped. They said, don't you care? Don't you care? Jesus should have stood up and slapped them. 
said, what do you mean, don't the, the Son of God? Of course I care. I made you, fool. That's what I'd have said. He did not. He simply spoke to the wind and the waves that he had created and spoke peace to them. I think when he spoke peace, well, it wasn't just to the wind and the waves. It was to the disciples' hearts. Is there a greater need that you and I have today than to know that he loves me? He's in control. And come what may, I will praise him. Though he slay me, Job said, yet I will praise him. I mean, that's just a mindset of tenacity that God expects of his children. That leads us to maturity. As we don't worship God because our circumstances are good, we worship God because he's worthy. Whether our circumstances come or go, like the changing of the calendar, those will change as well. If you only praise God when you feel like it... Satan will make sure you never praise God. He doesn't want you to do that. I'd like you this morning to turn your Bibles to Philippians 10, excuse me, Philippians 3, chapter 3 and verses 10 through 14. When you're there, say, I'm there, Pastor Jim. You cheaters with your phones, that's too quick. The rest of us need the cheater tabs to get there. Philippians 3, 10 through 14. Spent half of my life with cheater tabs. Thought the book of Job in the Old Testament was pronounced job, and it was a, like a classified in the Bible of jobs that you get, listing at Walmart. I, I don't, didn't know what that was till I decided to actually read the book one day. Philippians 3.10 says this, Paul speaking, I want to know Christ. I want to know him better and better and better with every passing year. Are you tired of flunking tests? Oh, I'm so tired of that. I'm so tired of that. I don't want to flunk any more tests. I flunked enough for 10 lifetimes, it seems like. What Paul is saying is I flunked a lot of tests too, and what I want to do is, is know Christ better and better, so I flunk less and less tests. I had a, I'm, I'm learning lessons all the time. The other day, we were frustrated trying to get some medical doctors to respond to my son's medical conditions, and we weren't getting any calls. It, it can be very frustrating. Have you noticed this? That, uh, well, if they don't call you in, in two weeks, then give us a call back, and we'll, we'll stir out the pot. And it never happens. They never call me back. I have never been called back yet, not in the last two and a half years. I don't know what happened to the medical phone systems, but all of a sudden, no referrals ever go through. It's not that we're dropped through the cracks once in a while. It's every single time. It can be very frustrating. And uh, my wife and I were talking about the state of medical affairs these days. And then the Lord spoke to my heart and he says, do everything without complaining. Test flunked, but he got my attention. Do everything without complaining. Now, I'm sure that every one of you passed that test all last year. No? You mean, you mean there's room for growth, Alan? Amen. I failed that test too, buddy. But I vow to do better this coming year. Oh, that's right. We, by the grace of God, will continue. I want to know Christ, the power of His resurrection, and even the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, what does that mean? I will embrace the tests and trials that God allows in my life. I will not complain. I will not become bitter. I will not become disillusioned. I will not feel or allow myself to feel that Satan is getting the best of me. My God is greater. I will stand by faith. I want to know Christ, the power of his resurrection. Even the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, that's... That is trials and tribulations in this life in a nutshell. That's what it is. Tests to refine and to purify our faith. And like God did with me the other day to remind me that the Bible is meant to be put into practice. Don't complain, it says. So why do I complain? My flesh is weak and there's room for spiritual growth. That's why. God never beats me with a stick or takes me out to the woodshed. He just ever so gently reminds me, do everything without complaining, Jim. I didn't hear a voice of condemnation. I heard a, a father's coming alongside a son and putting his arm around him saying, son, <laughs> don't complain. You remember that, don't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I do, Lord. I'm sorry. 
becoming like him in his death. Verse 11, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. What does that mean? It's a miracle. And Paul says, I don't fully understand it, but it's a miracle that God saves sinners, promises them heaven and someday a glorious and eternal future. And Paul says in verse 12, and if Paul didn't, wasn't there at the end of his life, I'm certainly nowhere near it. Not that I have already obtained all of this or already been made perfect, Paul says, but this one thing I do, this is the important stuff. This is the highlighter passage. This is where you take out your pen and underline this because this is what you are supposed to do with this new coming year. But I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me for. That's the plan of God for your life. It's Jesus. It is you turning everything over to Jesus. All of your pains and hurts and heartaches and frustrations and everything else. And you say, I can't take anymore. That's right, you never could. Genius, he can. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So when your strength comes to an end, like it's supposed to, embrace Christ. He is the answer for everything. What did Paul what was Paul told by, by the Lord where in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, three times he prayed, Lord, take whatever this thorn in the flesh was that he had. Three times he prayed, Lord, take it away from me. Can I paraphrase that answer from God? No. No. We pray because we want God to say yes. That's why you pray. You have an expectation. Lord, I'm praying. Take this away from me. We want him to say yes. We want him to agree with us in prayer, but that's not the purpose of prayer. The purpose of prayer is to put your will in alignment with his. And sometimes that is embracing the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Now, you can fight God on this all you want, and you will find out that the gospel truths that we have before us are an anvil that has worn out every hammer throughout time. Don't fight God on this. Embrace his perfect will for you, whether it is pleasant or unpleasant, is irrelevant. I want God's perfect will. God's perfect will for his own son was to hang on a cross. Praise God in heaven that he has not called us to bleed for the sins of the world or be crucified in the manner that his own son was. The fellowship of sharing in his sufferings is to embrace life without complaint. I always know when the Lord is doing business with people's heart in the sanctuary because after I say something, you could hear a pin drop on the carpet like we just did. Can I tell you, if Scripture is not applied, there is no purpose in us looking at Scripture at all. It must be applied. This is God's word for you. Don't make excuses. Don't say, yeah, but I'm different. Oh, that doesn't apply to me. Can I tell you the word of God applies to all of God's people in all places at all times? This is God's word for you. Paul says these things, these fellowship of sharing in his sufferings and knowing him better and better, having the power of his resurrection working in my life, the resurrection of the dead is, is the hope of the church, and it always has been. God will be glorified. Paul says, but I'm not there yet. Verse 12, not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. That's our goal for 2023. Press on. Look past sin and self and circumstance. That is spiritual immaturity. That is kindergarten stuff for the Christian. Oh, I'm so self-absorbed. Oh, it's all about me. Poor me. Oh, my circumstances, my health, my finances, my, oh, me, 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 me. You will never see God, and you will never see the power of the resurrection in your life if you are that narcissistically self-absorbed. You can't do it. Unless you're a chameleon, and I don't see any in the congregation this morning, unless you're a chameleon, both of your eyes move in the same direction at the same time. Okay, you can't look at your sin and yourself and your circumstances and simultaneously look at Christ. You can't do it. You're not a chameleon. 
The Bible tells us to fix our eyes, plural, because you got to fix your eyes upon Him. I don't want to hear about your circumstances. God's greater than those. He's greater than our sin. He's greater than our weakness. Our sins serve to keep us humble. Your sins remind you you're not all that. You're not all of that. There's still plenty of room for improvement in every one of us. But Paul says, here's the key. Underline it. Highlight it. And strive to put it into practice with all of your heart. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. That's your mission this new year. That's what God wants to impress upon you this year. Now, whether you do that or not is now between you and God. I've told you what God expects of you. Is there, is there any ambiguity in what I said? Do I need to repeat myself? Did you hear me? Just raise your hand and say, I heard you. You did? You going to do it? You going to do it? Don't be raising that hand and say, you're going to do it and then don't do it. God saw. God's looking. He's keeping track. Verse 13, he says, brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do. This is what you really want to take note of. Anytime the Apostle Paul says one thing is really important, you want to know what that one thing is. And you want to strive with everything that is within you to actually do it, not give lip service to it. A pastor's job in part is counseling, and most of the time people come in wanting me to agree with a decision they've already made, right or wrong. That's not counseling. That's affirmation. I'm not in the affirmation business. I'm in the business of telling you what the Word of God says. And sometimes uh, uh, there, there are people that heed the correction of God's Word as I share that with them in counseling, and sometimes not. But in counseling, sometimes... What I hear as I listen to them for the first 15 or 20 or 30 or 45 minutes is all about them, 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 me, my, I, me. You know, after, after a certain amount of time of that, you just say, you just don't know nothing about God, do you? I mean, you, you wouldn't be so self-absorbed if you really believed that God has your life in the palm of his hand. We glorify our problems and our dysfunctional past instead of glorifying the God who is greater than those. Why do we do that? We throw a pity party hoping, you came from a dysfunctional past. Show me a person in the room that didn't. We all came from dysfunctional past because we all had less than perfect parents. Sorry. But that makes a poor excuse when we stand before the throne of God because God says, I'm greater let go of your past. If you're going to make one year New Year's resolution this year, make it this one. Let go of the past. I don't want to hear, oh, but I was abused as a child. Yes, so what? Let it go. Oh, this was, my dad was an alcoholic. My dad was an alcoholic. Poor excuse for your present behavior. Oh, my dad was never home. So, my heavenly father's always home. What are you looking at? You can't look at two things at the same time. Oh, me, my, and I, my dysfunctional past. You, you can look at that your whole life and be a miserable Christian with no victory at all, and it is your choice. Or you can choose. You can choose to look up and believe the promises of God. Greater is he who is in you than he is in the world. Do you believe that? Is that what's coming out of your mouth? Or is it all about the pity party and the dysfunctionality in my past? And we tend to live in the past and glorify our past. Sometimes, whether good or bad, oh, the good old days. They, weren't, they may be old, but they weren't all that good. I look forward. I press hold, verse 12, to look, take hold of that for which Christ used to hold me. Brothers, I'm not there yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind would you say that with me? Forgetting what is behind. You know what that means in practice? You don't talk about it again. Don't talk about it again. What can you do about the past? Absolutely nothing. What do you know about the future? Absolutely nothing. 
What you've got is right here, right now. And what are you going to do with it? Glorify God? Fix your eyes upon Him? Press in like Paul says? Or are you going to live in the past, good or bad? Here's the command of God. Forget what is behind. So can I tell you, there's not a counselor in this church that wants to hear about your past anymore. Because if you bring it up, you're in sin. You're in disobedience to the scripture that we just read. Say it with me again. Forgetting what is behind. You don't want to violate that one. You don't want to bring it up and bring it up and bring it up and bring it up and bring it up like some broken record. You don't want to do that. Let it go. That's the good thing about a change in calendar. My calendar that I took off the wall this morning was filled with all sorts of things. Got to be here and got to do this and this and this and that. Busy, 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 right? Issues that come up, you got to pay this bill or go to this doctor's appointment, whatever else. It kind of, had, kind of felt nice to take it off, and you know what? I threw it in the trash can. I don't keep them. Why would I? Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Why would I want to keep an old calendar? Do any of you keep old calendars? Don't. Don't. Don't want an argument here. Don't. Let it go. Throw it away. Thank God for the good stuff, thank God for the bad stuff, but throw it away and look forward to what lies ahead in Christ Jesus. But what I did do before I threw the old calendar away is I looked at everything that God had took me through all last year. The tests and the trials and the tribulations and the doctor's appointments and the fears and the doubts and the failures, it's all on the calendar. It's all on the calendar. Then I pinned up the new one, which had absolutely nothing on it, but bright hopes and promises looking forward to the future. And two, if the Lord tarries his return, by the end of next year, I'll be able to look back on the faithfulness of God there. God has been faithful. God has been faithful. He has never treated me according to my sins. And he has seen me through every trial, test, and tribulation I've ever faced, or I wouldn't be standing here this morning. Your testimony is the same of mine. God has given you victory. God has given you life. God has given you health. That's why you're here. We have every reason to give him glory and honor and praise with thanksgiving. Not complaining, not dragging up the past. Where's that old calendar, Pastor Jim? Here, let's talk about all the drudgery. Really? I don't want to go there. I want to be obedient to Scripture. It says forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. It's a marathon runner uh, with the last mile in front of me. He's just got to hang in there for that one last mile. The second coming of Jesus Christ is nearer now than when we first believed. We're moving towards the end of our race. I believe that with all of my heart. Paul says in verse 14, I press on to the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. That's the only focus that is the biblical one for this new year. That's the only focus that is legitimate, that is biblical. Don't live in the past or be bound by it. Some use it as an excuse. What a dysfunctional past they had. And they dwell on that and they forget that Christ died to deliver them from it. That's not your identity. That's not who you are. Who you are is who you are in Christ Jesus. You're a child of God. Oh, poor me, you came from a dysfunctional past or wounds or issues. Your answer is Jesus. Your answer is Jesus. Pressing forward, I, I press towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Some people mention their past in every single conversation because they're still bound by it. Satan still has them in chains, though Christ died to set them free. But they act as if they're still bound. There is no victory. Put it behind you. Don't bring it up again. You know, looking forward to this new year is easier if we know what God requires of us. So you want to write down Philippians chapter 3 and spend some time there today sometime if you get the chance. There is another scripture that comes to us out of one of the Old Testament prophets in Micah 6, 8. You can turn there, but I'm just going to be very brief in sharing that passage with you. It's an old song that we used to sing in Calvary's before most of you were born. He has shown thee, O man, 
what is good and what the Lord requires of thee, but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. That's what is required of us this coming year. Let's, let's look at that briefly. He has shown you, oh man, what is good. How has he shown us? We have the written record of it in your hand. This is what God has done. This is what is good. We know right from wrong because of his written word. And I praise God for it. But what does the Lord require of you? This rhetorical question that Micah asks us. Three things. To do justly. What's that mean? Do right. This is not a difficult one at all. Do right. Do what is right. Do the good thing. Do the honest thing. Person told me just yesterday, hey, everybody cheats and lies. Really? Maybe everybody you know, but I've got a whole church full of people who don't believe that's okay at all. But the world does not agree with you and I. The world tells the truth if it's convenient and lies when it's more convenient. You and I can't follow in those footsteps. The world is self-serving, and, and Christ called you and I to serve others. We can't go the way of the world. I know that we are in the minority today, but hasn't God always dwelt with, with just a remnant? I believe in remnant theology. Well, we're the faithful remnant these last days. But I'm not going to act like the world. Well, everybody does this or that. Everybody robs stores. Everybody shoplifts. I just went to Walgreens day before yesterday, picking up some stuff for the nose. And, and Kathy, well, she was going to the cosmetic section. I don't know about you guys, but I don't particularly enjoy hanging out in the cosmetic sections. You've got to forfeit your man card to spend more than five minutes there. It's like shopping for lingerie. No, no, honey, you go that way. I'll go some the hardware sections over there. Meet me over there. And, then, and Kathy told me later, she says, there was this gal who picked up something, looked at it, and just stuck it uh, in her shirt. And I said, boy, I wish I'd have seen it. I'd have tapped her on the shoulder and said, put it back. The world thinks that's okay. It's not. Do what is right. Don't lie. Don't cheat. Don't slander. Don't gossip. We know what the Word of God says already, don't we? We know what He expects. Don't lie on your taxes. Tell people the truth. Don't take advantage of people. Don't overcharge. We know what is right and wrong. Well, that's what Micah is reminding us. To act justly. That's one of the three things that he says is really important to God. The second one is to love mercy. I love getting mercy. Don't you? I love getting mercy. You understand there's a huge difference between judgment and grace and mercy. Judgment is getting what you deserve. Any of you really want that from God? No, 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 no. We want judgment for everybody else, but not for, not for me. What do we want? We want mercy. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. We like to receive mercy, but God expects us to also give mercy, and not treat others according to their sins. Didn't Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount say, hey, don't act like the world. If a Roman soldier slaps you on one side of the cheek, turn the other cheek. If he asks you to carry his pack a mile, carry it too. Just do what's right. Don't take offense easily. Don't do this stupid stuff like road rage. As God has given you mercy, extend mercy to others. That's the second thing that Micah says is really important to the heart of God. What's third? Perhaps the most important of all, to walk humbly with your God. To walk humbly with your God. Do what's right. Be quick to give and to receive mercy. Judgment is getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. What's grace? Grace is God giving you what you and I never deserved. Eternal life, forgiveness of our sins, hope, meaning, purpose, glory, coming. It's, it's wonderful. That's what grace is. Thank you, Jesus, for it. But lastly, he says, walk humbly with you, God. Humility, listen carefully, is seeing yourself for who you really are. 
and seeing God for who he really is. Then you'll be humbled. You see yourself, I'm a sinner, saved by grace, kept by grace, filled with his Holy Spirit, a child of God, but it's still a work under construction. Lots of work yet to be done. Humbly seeing myself, looking in the mirror and going, mm. seeing myself for who I really am. But I'm also loved. I also have a future. My name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I mean, there's a lot of good stuff that's looking back at me. But I see myself for who I really am, and I see God for who He really is. He is perfect. He is holy. He is loving. He is just in 10,000 other things. That's humility. Walk humbly with your God. If you acknowledge who you are before God in humility and let Him just love on you and pour out His love and grace and mercy, I'll tell you what, that's what walking with the Lord is all about. Every day this new year, being bathed afresh in His wonderful forgiveness, His love. His, it's like walking in His glory. It's like the King of kings and Lord of lords is walking right beside me. I don't need to see Him. I can feel His presence. I know that He's Lord over all that goes on in my life. He loves me. He's forgiven me. He's got a future for me. Micah 6.8 is one you want to take to heart. Paul in the New Testament says of humility, count others as greater than yourself. Well, that's humility. Just look at other people and go, you know, I wish I was half as good as you are. Wish I read as much as you did or prayed as much as you did. Set a, a good example for people, but in humility, defer to other people. Did you go to Walmart yesterday? Why is it that our wives only want to go shopping at Walmart on Saturday afternoon when there's 50,000 pagans there, all of which are in a bad mood? I don't understand that exactly, but my wife likes going there for some reason. And maybe it dawned on me as I was doing it, I mean, people are bumping in you with their carts and elbowing you, and, and it just, you know what I'm talking about. You go down the aisle and there's 15 other carts there. and it gives you an opportunity to be merciful and gracious to reach stuff off the top of the shelf that the little grannies this tall can't reach, gives you an opportunity a lot of times to say, I'm sorry. Excuse me, I'm sorry. Oh, did, I didn't mean to bump into you. My bad, I'm sorry. I spent all that yesterday afternoon doing that. I must have done it 30 times in Walmart alone. Gives me an opportunity to exercise some of that stuff the Bible calls Humility. Just a little humility. Defer to other people. You know, don't demand your own way. The New Living Translation, which is, by the way, a wonderful devotional Bible. I prefer something that's a, a touch more uh, in tune with the Greek than that is. But for a devotional Bible, it is one of the very best. The New Living Translation puts Philippians 2, 3 through 5 this way. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in other people as well. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. That's well put. Ecclesiastes 2.26 says this, To the man who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness, but to the sinner... He gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. So if we're doing what's right, if we're loving mercy, receiving it and giving it, and walking humbly with God, can I tell you, that pleases Him. And there are rewards for the man, who, the woman who pleases God, who lives to please God instead of this, the flesh. John 8, 29, Jesus said, The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Don't you wish you could say that every day of your life? I only, I only do what pleases him. How do I know what pleases him? Well, we've shared some of those scriptures, but the rest of the story is here. It's right here. So many Bibles have been printed since the invention of the Guten, 
Pittsburgh Printing Press. Every home has an average of 4.3 Bibles. I wonder how many of those homes read that Bible. Because it tells us what pleases God. That's what Paul had exhorted the Ephesians in chapter 5 and verse 10. Find out what pleases the Lord. How do I find out what pleases the Lord? Thought you'd never ask. Read. Read the book. Get in touch with the living God who is the living word, according to John. So pleasing God, I, I, I just love that. God was well pleased with his son, Matthew tells us. So the more we act like Jesus, the more we please God. Good prayer this year. Make me more like you, Lord. Make me more like you. You know, it's interesting and insightful. One of the appointed feasts of the Lord given to Israel in the Old Testament was known as Rosh Hashanah, literally the head of the year. It's the Jewish New Year. They celebrate it from mid-September to somewhere between there and mid-October. It's a movable holiday for them. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall observe a day of solemn rest, a memorial proclaimed with the blast of trumpets. Interesting. A holy convocation. You shall do no ordinary work. You shall present a food offering to the Lord. That's Leviticus 23. Uh, Did you know that Rosh Hashanah marks the traditional anniversary, according to Jewish uh, rabbinic thought, it marks the anniversary of the creation of Adam and Eve. Isn't that interesting? So if you are Jewish, this is not the year 2023. If you are Jewish, this is the year 5,783, because that's the number of years since creation. The Jewish people believe the earth, at least the creation of Adam and Eve, dates back 5,783 years. In fact, if you go and read Genesis yourself and take it at face value and start writing down the years that are mentioned in the genealogies, you have a difficult time seeing that the earth is older than about 6,000 years old. Now, you can either believe God or you can believe the critics and skeptics out there that hate God. It is your choice. But understand this, they're all looking at the same geographical data. They're all looking at the same rock strata. It all believes whether you believe that God exists and created everything or you refuse to believe that God exists and has created everything. Two different worldviews. So you can adopt a worldview that leaves God out of the equation, or you can take God's word at literal, factual face value and say, you know, it kind of looks like the earth is a lot younger than they think, and I believe that it is. In fact, if you add up all of those years from Adam to Abraham, we date Abraham as being born in 2166. And the lineage is given for us in the Old Testament passages in Genesis from Adam all the way to Abraham. So we add up those years, add up the years since Abraham. It's not difficult to do. If I can do it, anybody can do it. You may need a calculator. That's fine. I did. The Jews did. But they believe the earth is, this year is the year 5783. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. The Jewish New Year is also known as Yom Teruah, which means the day of trumpets. The day of trumpets. And and Teruah means to make a loud uh, noise or to shout or to sound the trumpet blast. I mean, ear piercing. So they mark this holiday of theirs, the Jewish New Year, by blowing the trumpets. It's a two-day celebration, and they blow the the shofar a hundred times each day. And it's interspersed with scriptures. And then you know what they do? They have a church potluck. And they start off by eating some really bitter, nasty herbs and, eat and, and, and stuff like that, herbs and garden stuff. I mean, it's like eating, uh, what, uh, kale? You know, or, or I don't, dandelion weed or something like that. They say it's good for you. I don't care. <laughs> if horses and cows eat it, I don't want to. You know, that's plain as simple. I'll eat the cow or the horse, but I'm not, I'm, I, I'm, I'm not there. Not, uh, hot dogs, yeah, there you go. 
Can't talk about food for very long because noon approacheth, and I know that your hunger will peak and you'll I won't have your attention for long at all. They'd start off with these bitter things because they would say, Lord, may we eat these bitter, may we remember this past year and all the bitter things that happened and be glad that it's behind us. And then after eating the bitter junk and clearing the table, they'd pop out the good tasting stuff, the fruits and, and the stuff that they had sweetened, you know, the pomegranates, the fruits of figs, the dates, that kind of stuff. And they were looking forward to the sweetness of the new year. I like that church potluck. Isn't that a cool thing to do? Just everything icky that happened to you last year, there it goes. Clear the table. Now we put out the good stuff looking forward to the new year and hoping that it carries the sweetness that the year past did not. And then they sound the trumpets. Every time in Jewish thought a trumpet was sounded, it was always a call to introspection. Introspection. In fact, it was only 10 days on the Jewish calendar from Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year, to the Day of Atonement where sins were atoned for. There was a 10-day period between the two, and every day they would sound the trumpet calling the people to introspection and repentance. Every single time. That's not a bad idea. If you can look back over the past year and say, I blew it so many times, just confess that to the Lord, repent of it, and be forgiven, washed clean, and cleansed of it once and for all. You don't have to. That's not you anymore. It may have been a sin you committed, but that's not your identity in Christ. Let it go. Bitter herbs, dandelions, kale, whatever else they put in those healthy salads in those healthy places. I, I don't know because I don't go there much, obviously. I like my hot dogs too much. My, my guilty conscience gets the best of me when I go into those salad places. 10-day fasting period for many of the Jewish people, moving up to the holiest day on, on their calendar, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Well, we can look at the day of our atonement as the day that Christ died on the cross. His blood was shed to atone for our sins. I, I praise His holy name for it. So all of these Jewish types find their fulfillment in Christ Jesus. The bitterness symbolized in those bitter herbs and, and things like that, the sweetness looking forward to what lies ahead in, in Christ Jesus. The day of atonement was the day that we said yes to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That was our day of atonement, wasn't it? Yeah, we'd do well to sound the trumpet on that day. So they would have this tremendous wake-up blast at Rosh Hashanah uh, looking forward to the day of atonement. It's called repentance, turning back to the Lord. And the most common greeting during that 10-day period, starting with Rosh Hashanah in Jewish circles, is, may your name be inscribed in the book of life. I like that blessing. May your name be inscribed. That's what the Day of Atonement did for you and I. The day we accepted Christ Jesus, that was our Day of Atonement. And on that day, your name was inscribed in the Lamb's book of life. Isn't that glorious? Someday those books are going to be opened, and those people whose names are not found in the Lamb's book of life will find themselves estranged from the God they had denied all their lives. God will simply give them what they wanted. I don't want God in my life, and God says, fine. This is a place called hell, a place where God is not, a place where there is no hope, there is no joy, there is no forgiveness. There's only fire and torment. All of the things that we would like to believe don't exist. That's why the world does not want to believe in hell. You'll hear it from the pagans all the time. I don't believe in hell. Well, that's convenient. Who wants to go there? But that doesn't mean it's not real. They don't want to believe that it's real because they don't want to have to face those consequences. But by denying Christ in this life, they condemn themselves to an eternity to come without God. They didn't want God in their life. He's simply giving them their wish. I won't be in your life for eternity. Those are the choices that we make, and that's what the Day of Atonement was all about. The 10 days preceding was Rosh Hashanah. You know, it, like all of the Jewish festivals in, in the Old Testament, uh, it looks forward to their fulfillment in Christ. It looks forward to a, a greater reality than just the Old, Old Testament. For those that have placed their faith in the Jewish Messiah, Jesus Christ, we understand the, the meaning of the call to repentance. We understand that. 
I've messed up. I need to repent. And I encourage you to live a lifestyle of repentance because we blow it pretty regularly. Have you noticed? So we need to repent pretty regularly, and that will result in humility. That's a good thing. That will keep you on your knees before God, and that is a wonderful thing. But as we turn our hearts towards God, we understand His great love has inscribed our names in the Lamb's book of life. I'm forgiven and will be for all eternity. My sins will never be held uh, in front of me and me called to account because they've been washed away as far as the east is from the west. But for those whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life, eternal death and separation from the God they didn't want in their lives during their earthly journey. There will be a day of judgment, which is yet to come, but anyone whose name's not found in that, according to Revelation 20 and verse 15, they'll reside in the lake of fire for all eternity. But the trumpets that were sounded at Rosh Hashanah remind me of that passage in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, where it says, and this is a promise for the believers, not just in Thessalonica, but throughout all of time. For the Lord himself will someday... Descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of the archangel, and the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. That is to me, what the new year is all about, looking forward to the fulfillment of the rest of God's promises. 90% of all biblical prophecies have already been fulfilled. Historically, you can look it up. There's only 10% remaining outstanding, and most of it revolves around the second coming of Jesus Christ and the establishment of His kingdom on earth and the eternal state beyond that. The promises of God will be fulfilled. He is coming back. But the question is, do you believe that? Do you believe that with all of your heart? Do you have faith in the promises of God? Do you have faith in God? Do you have faith in His Son? It's important because as Hebrews eleven six 6 tells us, without faith it's impossible to please God. You have to believe God. You have to keep your eyes on Him, not on sin, self, or circumstance. These things are brief. They, do, they will change like the day is on a calendar. Anyone who comes to Him, Hebrews continues, must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly, say earnestly, earnestly seek Him. What does it mean to seek God earnestly? Well, you have to look at the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah to tell us that. Would you turn left of where you're at to Jeremiah chapter 29 with me for just a moment? This is such an important promise given by God to His people these last days. Jeremiah 29, verse, starting in verse 11. Would you, would you turn there with me, please? Some of you may be thinking... Well, I hated this last year, but I'm not sure what the year ahead holds. Well, here's a, here's a comforting word from the Lord. God says in Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. I know. You may not know. You don't have any idea what lies ahead in 2023. You're hoping it's better, but what's the basis of that hope? Is it Christ Jesus or is it just polyandry? Uh, well, I, I hope. Maybe wishful thinking? No, no, our hope is concrete. It is Christ Jesus himself. God says, I know the plans I have for you. He doesn't say you do. He says he knows, declares the Lord. But here's his plan. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Don't put a money sign on that. Prosperity has a wide range of meaning in, in Old Testament Scripture. Plans to prosper you spiritually. Maybe with regard to your finances and your health. And not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. When you pray, God listens. Don't ever doubt that. Note what thir verses 13 and 14 say. This is, what, this is our assignment for the new year. You, God speaking, says, you will seek me. That's your job. You don't do the seeking, don't expect to do any finding. Is that just pretty common sense? You 
have to do the seeking. You be slackered on this. You, you don't read the Word of God. You don't pray. Guess what? Nothing happens. Nothing happens. Nothing good. You will seek me and you will find me when you, say you, you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you. But that's what is required of us this new year. It is our part to do the seeking. If we do the seeking, we'll do the finding and he will speak to us and we will know what is required. God has wonderful plans for you and I this new year. But it is only available to those who seek him earnestly with all of their heart, all of their mind, all of their soul, and all of their strength. Understand, that will put you in a minority even amongst the community of the faithful. We live in a Laodicean and lazy church age that says, oh, I don't need to change, learn, or grow. I'm fine with the status quo. That rhymes, doesn't it? That, wasn't that clever? I, who knew? I don't want to be Laodicean. I don't want to be lukewarm. I want to earnestly seek him these last days with all of my heart, mind, and soul, and strength. I wanted to close out with this thought. You don't have to turn there, but it comes to us out of Isaiah Chapter 40, verses 28 and following, you know it well. It is absolutely majestically poetic in the old King James version of this passage. But Isaiah says this, Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow weary. We're tired, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary. Oh, that's me, Lord. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. You see, my strength has run out, Pastor Jim. I know. Your strength is not the issue any more than when the spies came into Canaan, the size of the giants deterred the faithful. Who cares how big the giants are we face? Is God bigger? Okay, then what's the problem? If our eyes are on, oh, the giants, oh, the problems, the health issues, the dysfunctional past, the question marks of life, the uncertainties, they're overwhelming me. God is greater. There are giants in my life. God is greater. Oh, but you don't understand, Pastor Jim. No, no, no. You don't understand how great God is. Don't be self-absorbed or let Satan sell you on that scheme for your life. God has wonderful plans for you this new year, if we will earnestly seek Him. So, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. May the Lord, let's all stand together, shall we? <clears throat> May the Lord bless you and keep you and cause His face to shine upon you this new year. May you seek Him afresh with all of your heart and mind and soul and strength, doing what is right, loving mercy, and walking humbly with your God. In Jesus' name, God is good.